buried deep within Lake Amenasaguri, an ancient god sings his song of peace and destruction in Hal from Beyond the Fog. from beyond the fog am i right (laughs) (laughs) oh man it was a foghorn definitely uh which apparently this the story is inspired by that ray bradbury story story that i mentioned several weeks ago alex the the lighthouse Um, right do what isn't it wasn't the story called the lighthouse it's called the foghorn it's called the foghorn Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh and this was inspired by the foghorn um very cool. Which, what was the other? Oh, yeah, Beast. Beast from 50,000 Fathoms. 20,000. Um, yeah. What did what, you say? 20,000 Fathoms. 20, yeah. <laughs> 20,000 Fathoms was inspired by that story as well. This film, How From Beyond the Fog, was inspired by both the original story, The Beast, and Godzilla 1954, and I think other influences, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, as we talk. But anyway, welcome back to Monsters vs. Men. This is the bargain basement of Monster Podcasting Airwaves. I'm Eric. I'm Alex. And Alex, this is our last matchup for our our, uh, Sweet 16. We now have our Elite 8. The Elite 8 is complete. Um, We've got, on the left-hand side, coming up this next week, we've got Troll Hunter, the one seed, versus the three seed, Attack the Block. We've Mm. got the three seed, Underwater, versus the one seed, the host. So that's coming up this next week, Alex. Okay. Um, and then the following week, we will have, let's see, Colossal versus the one seed Colossal versus mm. the four seed Love and... No, that's wrong. One seed Colossal <laughs> versus the two seed The Ritual. Ooh, uh, that's I know, brutal. it's interesting. And then the two seed The Mist versus the one seed How from Beyond the Fog. Mm. So we shall see who prevails um, over our next two weeks. Next week, Alex will watch Love and Monsters, one Yay! of the, the the picks that uh, we both wanted to watch. Yeah, this is because th- th- this was a democracy. Everybody, it's, this is now a fascist regime. Exactly. Uh, we are now picking <laughs> yeah. the movies we wanted. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do Love and Monsters, and then the next week we'll do Psycho Gorman. Um, we'll watch both of those and. Each week, those two weeks, we'll reveal uh, the winners from each of the two sides of the bracket. And then in our recap episode, to finish the series off, this Monster Madness series, we will do uh, our typical recap and the final four matchups and the winner. So that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to, to seeing who comes out on top to see who is the greatest monster movie, at least for Monsters vs. Men of the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, this is gonna be. This is. Uh, I'm excited to see what everyone picks. I, I really don't know because I, I've been wrong on almost every movie so far. <laughs> this, this is, is this movie is the only one I got right. I think. Yeah, yeah, and this is it was just interesting, honestly, because this is a real niche sto- sort of film. <laughs> yeah, uh, I it's would really never have niche. heard of this film if. <laughs> I hadn't uh, been in the giant monster community through this podcast. Never would have heard of this film. Yeah. And yet, when talking about monster movies, 
with people that listen to the show, this earned itself a one seed and had the most lopsided victory over any of the others um, that I've seen. So I wonder, <laughs> it killed the monster calls. Like, yeah, it did. It did, which is a little surprising. I mean, it's not, I guess. Everyone knows this movie. I don't know if everyone's seen this movie in our community, but everyone seems to know it. Know what the monster looks like. I see the appeal, I guess. Yeah, and that's it. What's interesting is like I think everyone's aware of this movie. I wonder how many people have actually seen the movie. I wonder if, uh, how many people actually know the runtime of this movie, which was a surprise <laughs> to both of us. <laughs> yeah, thirty-five minutes. Yeah, but no, we had a. Speaking of which, though, Alex, we had a our first ever watch along with some of our patrons uh, last night, and yeah. that was fun. That was really fun. We had several people come out and watch the film with us it was very last minute we'll try to do it again here soon and actually give people some time to to plan for if you want to attend (laughs) that uh but yeah that was really fun but it was surprising um only one person had seen the film so yeah so i definitely definitely want to do that again for sure that was a that was a lot of fun yeah we'll do it now neither one of us felt like we fully got the movie the first time around so i watched it again today did you get a chance I, i did and yeah <laughs> you still do you having trouble still no um the subtitles are a fail in several important situations which is very laughable uh they, sho- it's shocking to me that in this day and age subtitles are getting screwed up so frequently because mm, yeah. uh, they they mess these up they mess up a lot of them and the especially the first in the ultra q and the ultraman sets they mess them up a lot so it's like it's baffling to me that this is still an issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I think it's in the grand scheme of things, not too many people probably notice it. Um, uh, in this one, you think? There's a couple. There's a couple little things. I don't think for too many people, it's it's going to be their primary like focus, and so I'm not as surprised by it. I, I wish it was better, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I'll talk about it when we get more right, right. into the movie. We'll, we'll get into it. Let's, let's, a... go ahead, let's, let's go ahead and jump in uh, because we're already talking about it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Set within the Meiji Reformation era, Dasuke Sato directed the exclusively Toku Kickstarter production, How From Beyond the Fog. At 35 minutes long, each minute counts towards creating this vision and this tone. But did you find the puppetry distracting or did you appreciate the lack of acting, Alex. Mm. I mean, the, the puppetry is, in all honesty, a little distracting, uh, mm-hmm. especially initially. It, it, but it's not really in a bad way. It, it's just, uh, you know, we are used to animation. We are used to live action. We're not mm-hmm. used to this. It, it, it does take an adjustment period. It, it, and it's hard to not notice in certain moments, like when... Takiri is introducing um, AG to Nebula for the first time. Nebula being the monster for people who don't know. Um, it, she puts her hands over his eyes, but it's like not even really covering his eyes. We're mm-hmm. just kind of supposed to understand oh, yeah. that that's what's happening. Yeah. So there are some kind of nitpicky moments uh, like mm-hmm. that one. But really, I came to really like the puppets in the end. Uh, they added this extra layer of mystique to this film, where I think for anyone watching this, whether they like it or not, 
have to acknowledge that this is a truly unique film. Yeah. No, absolutely. I also, Nebula, you mentioned it, but just so everyone's aware, Nebula is the name of the monster. I don't think it's ever said in the film, is it? It's not. Yeah. So Nebula is the monster. The other thing about the monster that I thought I understood, but then the second time (laughs) watching it, I didn't think it was ever explicitly said, was, is the monster blind as well? (laughs) It feels like you may have gone through the whole same process I went through watching this movie. (laughs) I think the monster is blind, but it is not clear at all. Um, And there's instances that happen where you're not sure because so when Nebula saves Takiri and hands or I guess spits out Takiri to Eiji, yeah. it feels like it can see because it's mm. so pinpoint accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some other stuff that happens later or like when, when Nebula kills the final uh, developer. Yeah. Um, feels like, it knows where the person is. Of course, he screams at it, Monster, so that yeah, probably helps. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is kind of hard to tell, but we do see the monster get Nebula get distracted by sounds easily. So yeah, yeah and you also it's see like blind. I mean, you do get close ups of Nebula's eyes. Yes, um, and they're cloudy, and there's there. She's supposed to be a parallel for Takiri. Yeah, so. absolutely. So it makes sense. It just is never. There are a couple things like that that just aren't told to you which is okay honestly like like that's actually okay um to get back to the puppets for a second uh you said the acting was a bit stiff alex yeah Uh, it was was a little stiff a little wooden is what i I said during the chat (laughs) but i'll tell you i i completely had no idea that this was this type of film and honestly i was was a little bit distracted the first time watching it but the first time watching it that opening scene i didn't even notice actually i, I oh, thought there really? was something a little bit weird about the person's face but again i was a little bit distracted setting it up for our watch along um talking with a couple people that i didn't notice it until the second scene when they started talking i was like oh this is oh. all toku <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and i mean for a second it was a bit distracting there because i was like uh i'm not exactly sure who's speaking at this moment uh, a couple yeah. times I had that that sort of moment. But as I said before, this is a movie you probably do need to watch a second time. Because if you're yes. like me, there's so much to absorb visually that first time that you lose what's what's actually happening in the story, right? I was lost, honestly. Every piece of dialogue moves <laughs> the story along in some sense, so you really have to catch it. You really yes. have to catch it um, or you'll miss out. You're, you're going to miss something. Um which which happened to me the first time. And so the first time I just tried to absorb the visuals, I knew today I was going to go back, watch it, and, and appreciate the story, and I did. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I had to watch it twice, too. And honestly, it's mostly because of the subtitles mm-hmm. are so poorly spaced out. Um, yeah. Sometimes you get a really long line of dialogue that goes by so fast like it was a one-word line of dialogue. And so, again, this is kind of where I'm like, I feel like they should have brought someone in, paid them 500 yeah, bucks. They would have been thrilled to go through, space these out, clean them up. Uh, but I guess they wanted to save a little bit on that end of things. Um, yes, yeah. But, yeah, they flash by so fast that 
And like you said, every piece of dialogue is so important that missing anything feels really consequential. Uh, so that really contributed to me feeling like I needed to go watch it again. And while the story is interesting, this film for me is special entirely because of the visuals and music. Mm. Um, I love the inf- implementation of the music in the film, and I especially love most of the images in this mm-hmm. movie. Like that's really the high mark for me. Like the imagery feels really thoughtful, and it has this weight to it that I don't really feel like I see in a lot of films. It's kind of hard to describe how I felt. Like the the atmosphere of it is really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and like like we've already mentioned her already, but Nebula is the star of the show here. Mm-hmm. This is a really cool monster, uh, especially for such a low budget film. This thing is awesome. Like, it's just such an interesting design, and the roar of this thing is like, if I had to compare it, like, it, I guess it would have to be like a portion of an air raid siren, or like the the horns you hear when a disaster is coming, but mm-hmm. stretched out in a really cool way that makes this monster, while the design is cool. The roar elevates it to like a legendary status. Ooh, nice. Um, yeah, no, I like that. The monster is fantastic. And you're right about the imagery in this film. Yeah, the puppetry is, of course, creative. Um, and the monster nebula, awesome. But I also just really appreciated the cinematic vision of the photography, the camera work. That's what was so impressive to me. It would have been easy to phone in the cinematography because so much detail was put into that monster and those miniatures. But this director refused to do that. We get interesting angles, interesting close-ups, and the camera mostly remains static, but that's okay um, because of the variety of shots that we get throughout this thing. Now, there are a few issues that you've mentioned with the movie, of course. Like, there are are a few clunky transitions that that transfer of Takiri yeah. from Nebula's mouth is kind of a rough point <laughs> um, that the covering of the eyes is a little bit, you're like, Oh yeah, that doesn't quite work there. Um, it, yeah. The, the, the subtitles make it unclear who's talking at certain times, a couple times, and they do flash on the screen. That's a flaw. I actually think the, the climactic music choice is a little off-putting to me uh, when you have those English lyrics in there. Um, yeah. I wasn't on board for that music choice. I did love the main theme, though. And, and really, yeah. these are just nitpicks that I have. That, that main theme is so stellar. Now, I did like the final music, but there's there are a couple of things that I could see be very off-putting for people. Like you said, English lyrics and it brings in modern uh, techniques and <laughs> like some, uh, it just, it just brings I mean, in some modern techniques and digital sounds. Yeah. And I mean, that maybe that's the point, normal, which I'm I mean, okay with. It's what I like that kind of music. So yeah. I was okay with it, but I could see someone being in this period piece. Cause that's what this is. And then being off put by it, yeah. you know? So, I mean, it is that moment where Nebula is moving into the town and moving into more of this modern setting, yeah. you know? Oh, Maybe yeah, that's yeah. kind of what they're thinking about, you know? Like, I don't know. It's just the overall style of the piece, actually, that just kind of, I'm like, uh, it didn't quite work for me as much as the theme did. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, and that might be where 
I've got some other complaints too. I, 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 I do think the story is interesting. Certainly interesting at the very least. Uh, but I, I don't feel like it's the focus of the film. And I like a lot of the elements in it, but like characters like AG are kind of uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Um, especially compared to someone with Takiri, who has so much baggage, it's both implied and explicit that she becomes pretty memorable pretty quickly, actually. But it's like when she thinks she's dying is like this really cool moment. And it's a really great moment for the film, like this visual flashback when she's sinking into the water we get that like col- almost kaleidoscopal uh, flash into her past where we see what happened between her and her mom. And just like, it's awful. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you really feel bad for it. And for her to be a, at least around Nebula, a pretty optimistic feeling character. Yeah. Uh, I really like those moments, but to me, mostly like there are some subtext stuff going on here but for me this story is really mostly about being unburdened about your past mm-hmm. and, and not even necessarily your past but your parents and mm-hmm. their sins and their baggage and but that's as far as i'm really able to go with this story because some of the other things i'm not even quite sure like the the blue eyes in particular mm. Uh, I, I got that everyone around uh, felt that they were unnatural. They were bad luck. Um, I have I, I've seen uh, like like Faye during our thing mentioned that it implies that this person is mixed and so like of a mixed Japanese and American heritage, which is which would explain the blue eyes. I didn't pick that up in the film. It, even on my second viewing, I was kind of looking for it. But I did understand, obviously, the blue eyes are not normal. Right. Uh, and so that is a point of contention in the area. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right here. So for me, getting into the story a little bit, I think it's serviceable and simple. Um, it's fable-like in the way that it's told. And I think you're right. It doesn't go deep into these characters with the exception uh, of Takiri probably. But it doesn't have to in order to create that meaning that we're talking about. Yeah. I actually would say, you know, you mentioned um, E.G. I actually think his whole relation to everything that's happening is a bit too convoluted. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it could be even simpler, right? Like this story is a fable. I think his relationship to everything that's going on becomes a little bit distracting because you're trying to figure out why is he coming back home here? Why was he away? Like there's so many questions kind of raised by it. I don't think are necessarily necessary for the main meaning of the film. Yeah. I mean, he comes home because his twin died and then when he gets home, there's never a mention of his twin. Right. Exactly. And, but, but like why they're separate. It's just, and I'm sure there are reasons. Yeah. Kiri mistakes him for, Yes, it's twin, but then recognizes it's not. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just it, his whole story is a little bit convoluted um, when it comes to what's the actual purpose of this film, um, which is to highlight what I, I think is to highlight this nebula and uh, Takiri connection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this film, we do get some similar themes that we've seen in other kaiju films, certainly. Uh, as, as we said, this was inspired by films like Beast that we watched 
uh, a couple months ago. And, and you can see some of those sorts of ideas creeping in. Uh, but I, I like the idea that Takiri and Nebula are these parallel beings. They're both in search of peace, but they're both full of pain. Uh, they need permission to leave uh, and to let go. And over the course of this film, they get that chance together. I like that aspect of it. Um, yeah. And I think I like that's that. the focus, right? I think that's the focus, which, as you said, to be unburdened by your past, maybe, I mean, maybe that's why E.G.'s story is so convoluted as to also kind of bring in this past that he's bringing in this weight and this burden. But I think it becomes a weight and burden on the audience members to try to figure that out <laughs> um, <laughs> versus, you know, this weight that we see and we can feel being lifted from him as they leave home together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Avian Plus today, Alex, I would call it our recommendation show. We get into TV shows, movies, video games, uh, a writing app <laughs> that I recommend. <laughs> we get into a little bit of everything that is pretty much recommendations, and we have a good time uh, talking and catching up. And you can find that over at patreon.com slash Pod. We really appreciate all of the bargain base mites that have become a part of our Patreon team. Uh, I've had a, a lot of fun doing those MVM Plus episodes too, so it's definitely been worth it for us. Yeah, yeah, and we we haven't done a recommendation episode in a while, so we're yeah. going back to our roots. It's something we <laughs> used to do. We haven't done one of those in a while. Yeah, yeah. Next week, <laughs> I'm sure we'll uh, get into another argument. <laughs> uh, well, let's get into our awards here and maybe avoid some arguments. Who'd you have for your coolest character award, Alex? Yeah, um, my coolest character was the mom that dies after the house falls on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, because A, she survives, and B, she... <laughs> According to the subtitles, she just completely is unable to speak anymore in any coherent way. And it is, it's hysterical. Like, I showed it to Cece. I was like, watch the lines of, the, of this character that's dying in this important moment. And she's like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, her dialogue is awful. Like, it just, like. <laughs> oh, I, I do remember that being like, yeah. what is. She's yeah. got three lines in a row that are nonsense. Yeah, that's <laughs> just interesting. Not, and the one line that would have made sense, instead of the word saw, like I saw, it says I sewed. I sew S E W. Yeah, but didn't it wasn't it like something that she had made? No, she's dead. No, <laughs> she, the, I think she sewed something together. What? Yes. No. All right. No, this is gonna be a live pull up right here. That's <laughs> what this is. I'm gonna turn down the sound so I don't disrupt the shit. Yeah, I know much. she said I I sewed right. Or, yeah, I know she she, she said that. No. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read the lines to you so everyone can enjoy the bliss that is this awful moment. It's a good moment. Um, It's an important moment, which is why it's so funny. Um, Yeah, read these lines to me. All right. Yeah, I've got it pulled up. I just got to get the closed captioning. Why is the close others? Closed captioning. On. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just read. Read. Sorry, it's so funny. All right. Hang on. All right, they find her. Mother! He flips her over. Oh, she's still alive. E.G. Lake God got angry. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Our home is gone. Dot, dot, everything. That's a good line. That one worked. Lake God got angry. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. You know him? I saw that when my sister died. Look like him saves her. So I thought it is like God. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. It's so bad. It's so yeah. bad. It is this important moment. And then mm. and then the rest of the scene makes sense. Yeah. Um but there's that moment that it's just nonsense. Yeah, and then yeah. well and then the subtitles I I do have to mention this one moment because it it doesn't make any sense. It's when each Aichi meets Takira or Takiri for the first time. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't make any sense because he meets her and she's supposed to be saying that she's supposed to be dead. Yeah. But what she actually says is, I'm not supposed to be dead. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Wait, what does she say? Does she say I'm not supposed to be dead? Yeah. So oh, yeah. It, it's it's, lo- it's, it's loading and it says, I'm not supposed to be dead. Yeah. And but what she's supposed to be saying is I'm supposed to be dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So there's important translations there for everybody. Um there are. They, they they are not pervasive through the entire thing, but no. there are some moments that are hurt by these. That's what I'm saying. You could have thrown me a hundred bucks and I would have gladly have gone through through and cleaned this up. Yeah, if you knew Japanese. Well, no, no. Even like even these translations, I've been like, hey, is this right? <laughs> And they'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> Clean it up. Because whoever does the closed captioning, most mm-hmm. typically wouldn't be a translator. That's not Usually the translator would write the script, and yeah. a closed captioning person would go in and put those in, and they would timestamp them. Yeah, that's true. I uh, know. I, I got you. I got you. But yeah, that's the why mom. she's great. I mean, she has a yeah, building fall mom. on her. She can still she's talk. Great. It doesn't make sense, but hey. Well, she refuses to give in. Also, to the pressure of these developers, right? That's right. She does. Which we have seen. Which we have seen in like uh, several Gamera movies. I think. Uh, what was that one? Gamera versus. Um, uh, well, it was in oh, Gauss, right? Yeah, I think it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah it Gauss. is. It's Gauss. Which, yeah, I think there are Gamera influences here, which I'll talk about. But one is. Oh. Nebula, actually, which is my coolest character. Um, I think Nebula is inspired by Gamera in a sense. I think it instills both fear and awe with a design that reminds me of a cross between the Loch Ness Monster and Gauss, actually. right? If you look at the face, it has a very kind of Gauss-looking sort of face, uh, especially from certain angles. But there's just a genuine care that you can tell went into the design of this monster. Those details are just impressive. Mm, yeah, yeah, they, they really are. Uh, yeah. What about your most memorable line award? Uh, so mine goes to Takiri, and it's uh, she's talking about Nebula and why she's not really afraid to to be with Nebula. She says, "All I can do is be with him. He reminds me that I'm alive." Right, right. Uh, and I think it just highlights the, that connection between her and the monster, which. Again, is is one of my favorite parts about this film. Yeah. What about you? Uh, mine's by the the final developer that's alive because it reminded me of another moment in another movie, and I think you'll know what it is. He goes, "Monster." <laughs> Are you talking Godzilla two thousand? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Kategori. Oh, that's Godzilla! great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, this, this developer, that actually transitions into my Can't Believe That Voice Acting oh, Award, Alex. Okay. This is uh, my, my award goes to that developer. The, the villain. Um, I don't know his name. I don't know the voice actor's name. I couldn't figure it out. because <laughs> I don't think it's specified in the film. I tried. Um, and I just had a tough time coming up with it. But, I mean, he brought out the menace in a puppet character. And that's hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> that's hard to do. It's one of the more villainous types of roles since Onadera. Remember him? Oh, uh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Gamma versus Gauss, that one's Gamma versus Gauss, right? No, that uh, one's that's Gamma versus... No, that one's Baragon. Baragon, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's going back a ways, but I, I did think this character uh, had a specifically... Um, a menace to his personality. Are you talking about the one that had the scar on his eye? No. Uh, Are you talking about, talking you're talking about, about the, the one I am talking about? That one okay. was kind of cool. <laughs> that, that one was cool. The guy with the scar. I mean, besides the fact that he was a bad guy, he was, yeah. he just had a really cool design. Um, yeah. But no, I'm talking about the guy that, yeah. that okay. threw um, uh, Takiri into the water. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not a good guy. <laughs> No, not a good guy. Um, what about your uh, can't believe that voice acting? You know, I think everybody did a great job. No one for me was really a standout. So I picked Takiri because I think she's probably got the most lines. Yeah. Um, she, I think she does a great job. Again, everybody did well. So that's a Kane Kanamori. Kanamori. And yeah. as Takiri, she does a great job. She sells the sadness and all, all her emotions well. She's believable. So I'll give it to her. Good job. <laughs> what about your standout effect award? Um, I want to give it. I, 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 you know, a real part of me really wants to give it to one of the practical effects done in here, one of the puppets, Nebula. But I want to give it to the flashback sequence. Mm-hmm. It's very different. It's. I didn't sit and count the frames, but it looked like it was four of the same picture, uh, colored differently, mm-hmm. and it just spirals the whole time. And it gives us really surreal effect to all of the images that are hand drawn in this flashback sequence. Yeah. And it just really makes this like awful moment, like a really beautiful thing though. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a second. But for my standout effect, I, I really love Nebula's wind breath at the end oh yeah <laughs> it was an interesting ability and again another reminder of gamera for me i, I think we saw in guardian of the universe and even the original gamera where yeah. gamera gathers like the fire energy and then unleashes it that's kind of what we saw here with nebula gathering the fog and then releasing it um really cool i, I love that moment um it was a standout effect for sure yeah yeah, that's a good one. I. What about your uh, best? Uh, oh, that's a good shot award. Well, I'll piggyback off of you. Okay. It's a, this is kind of a cop out. I, I think there's so many great one-off atmospheric shots really in this are. film. There's a, like there's a it lot. really sets that tone. And I, I mentioned it, you know, in our discussion as well. You've got the creative shots, like the one on the bridge where the four bad guys are facing Nebula. There, I love yes. that one. There's the shot of the flowers, just kind of like there blowing in the fog really yeah. cool there's another shot of the trees reflected um like glass on the water um just before nebula or just after nebula one of the two unleashes one of his 
uh, roars, which is awesome. But I'm going to go with the animated sequence, the second animated sequence, which is just heartbreaking, but truly reflective of the subject matter. It's so colorful compared to the rest of the film. There's a real juxtaposition there, and it makes this moment full of vibrancy. And when you hear that backstory about Takiri's blindness, where her world is literally turned upside down, it ends with that inverted silhouette of her and her mother. Uh, There's just an emotional potency there that absolutely works. Um, So I'll piggyback off of you, and I'll use that second flashback scene. Yeah, that that seems really cool because it's, you know, I I I look at it at it as being so vibrant and colorful because it's the last thing that she remembers seeing. Yeah, so it's even more vibrant than you would think. Yeah, which is really interesting. Really um, interesting. Yeah. What about you? I I just I I put down a bridge shot. Any of them? <laughs> yeah, it could be below the bridge, above the bridge. There are a ton of great bridge shots. Yeah. So like they're in the final confrontation, there's the one you mentioned where it's got the four of them standing there as Nebula approaches, and then it's got another one from behind them as Nebula is obscured and fog, and it looks like they look so awesome. If they weren't bad guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> it'd be like a like a hero shot almost. And then at the beginning of the film. You've got that person going across the bridge with someone else, uh, and it's just it's really ominous and cool. I still don't know why Nebula killed those poor people, but it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, because they weren't all. It wasn't like these bad guys, all of them. Um, I guess we don't know. Maybe they had tried to hunt it already. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, that brings us to our rating and ranking. Uh, Alex, let's start with you this time um what do you think about this film overall what would you give it out of five real quick just so nobody like messages us in case we missed it my theory is that nebula was in the fog and she heard the wheels on the cart and just knocked him over by mistake there you go that's my guess since she's blind <laughs> there or he's blind i don't know if it's a border girl um <laughs> uh yeah this one this one's it's it's kind of hard for me to score. Uh, I'm very yeah. mixed in how I feel about it because on one hand, I love the experimentation, I love the shots in the film, I love the effects. I I, I like that they, they I like the dolls and Nebula. Like they're they're both actually really interesting. On the other hand, I do think the story is lacking. Um, it, it's got it does have something to say, which I I have to give it points for, but it didn't blow me away. But I don't think this is a film that's about its story, really. Uh, this is this is a showcase. This is someone's grand vision for what they wanted to test themselves, special effects wise. I think. Mm. And so I'm going to give this one a 3.5 out of five because yeah. this is one I would recommend a lot of people watch, especially like anyone that's a film buff. I would say watch it, like. This is this is something you need to see because it's unlike anything you've seen. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, and you have to give it credit for that. It's unlike anything you've seen um, on it's, a very it's, small budget. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's hard for me. The shorter the film is, like short, real short films, I don't usually give ratings to. Um, yeah, I mean, it, this is a short film about the length of you know a TV episode. Uh, yeah. And it's so it's it's hard to judge it based off of based off of what standard you know we're always thinking we always have this kind of hypothetical standard I think we're basing our ratings out of so that makes this one uh, particularly difficult but I'm with you 
I think I'm going to give this a 3.5 out of 5. Um, because, yeah, with all of its technical brilliance and its you know cinematic vision and the imagery that we mentioned, it was a beautiful experience to take in. I had to watch it twice. Um, I, I think there could have been either less or more to the story, and we probably would have hit a sweeter spot, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Uh, it could have been yeah. either a little bit simpler and still been poignant, or um, it could have been a little bit more fleshed out and given us more complexity to, to some of these characters. I think either way might have worked a little bit better, but that's easy for me to say um, not here or on the side of, of the screen, you know, <laughs> get, casting judgments down on this right. relatively small indie film. So uh, I, I give it a 3.5 out of 5, and I'm with you. I recommend it to anybody that's a giant monster fan. I think you'll appreciate the vision uh, and the effects 100%. Yeah, yep, I agree. And we're now longer than that episode so, <laughs> or that movie. So there you yeah. go. <laughs> so we need to wrap things up. <laughs> Alex, do you have any uh, rhymes for Love and Monsters next week? Yeah, I'll come up with one. Um, next week, we finally get to watch Eleven Monsters, and we finally find out if the characters wear rompers. <laughs> I've been wondering about that. I've been wondering. It's a question a lot of people are uh, a lot of people that haven't seen it have been asking. Well, people have been yeah, people have been emailing us and asking us about the characters, and is it true that they just wear rompers throughout? And <laughs> I'm like, well, we'll find out when we watch it for the first time next week. So that's right. Yeah, we'll, we're gonna see. Um, uh, I came up with that bad one a lot faster than you thought I would, huh? Yeah, that was that was really bad, but really fast. So now I'm <laughs> I'm scrambling. Uh, will Love and Monsters rise above, or will it be just Monsters in Love? That's all I got. <laughs> all, right. all right. Yeah, well, we need to end this thing. <laughs> As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. Um, you can find us on Letterboxd at Alex Cornett and Eric Neely. Email us mvmpod at gmail.com or leave us feedback at mvmpod.com. Support us at Patreon at patreon.com slash mvmpod and receive weekly bonus off-the-cuff discussions. And if you feel so led, leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews really do help. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senor Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week. Try, try to, to stay, stay alive. alive. Like God got angry, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Our home is gone, dot, dot, everything. That's a good line. That one worked. Like God got angry. Mm -hmm. You know him? I saw that when my sister died. Look like him saves her. So I thought it is like God. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I said.